For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. And a very good morning from the Neil Prandeville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy at eight minutes past nine. Quick look at the morning papers and we'll get down to phone calls. The Echo front page has cork shops battle theft. Businesses are looking out for shoplifters. I guess they always are, but it must get very difficult this time of the year. Uh, Cork's business community is fighting back following a rise in shoplifting thefts, which has forced some city stores to invest in extra security. It comes amid concerning data from a recent meeting of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee, which cited a 24% rise in thefts from stores in 2023 compared to last year. Cork Business Association President Kevin Hurley, who also runs a number of centre stores in Cork, attended the event and later said that his stores had been affected mainly by alcohol thefts. He also vented concerns about high-end products in other city stores being apparently stolen to order. Also on the Echo front page, bid to save Crosshaven Post Office. Krohuro Leohan reporting last-minute efforts are continuing to be made to save Crosshaven Post Office from closure following the notification that the current postmistress is to retire at the end of the month. A spokesman for Unpost confirmed to the Echo that Sarah McGrath had tendered her resignation earlier this year and had requested that her last day would be New Year's Eve December 31st. Happy retirement, Sarah. However, the contract to provide post office services in Crosshaven was advertised twice. Local businesses canvassed, but again, no interest shown in the vacant contract. Over the last two months, uh, we've again canvassed interest locally, but to no avail. So Crosshaven may lose its post office. The examiner has Cork Gardaí to increase checkpoints. Owen English reporting that Gardaí have warned motorists to expect more checkpoints in the run-up to Christmas as new figures show a 13% increase in the number of people arrested in the Cork City Garda Division for driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. Figures presented at this week's meeting of the Cork City's Joint Policing Committee, the, uh, the JPC, show there were 289 detections for driving under the influence from January 1st to November 30th this year, compared to 255 for the same period last year. But it's a standard Christmas message. It always does happen. They don't uh, call it out and then not do it. You will see increased uh, Garda presence and increased checkpoints in the run-up to Christmas. Uh, Motion sparks war of words. Riotous Doyle Row over immigration. Rioters must be laughing at all this, says Adon O'Reardon. And uh, he, O'Reardon, is a horrible little man, uh, said Michael Healy Ray. We'll deal with that uh, topic in some detail in a few minutes' time. Have a goo hero, uh, a beer from all of us. Uh, the smiling Brazilian who stopped the knife horror in Dublin gets his pint. €700,000 has now been donated for hurt kids and their saviours. Benicio toasts that 700 k donated by the generous public. Hero Deliveroo driver, Chiao Benicio, uh, yesterday toasted generous donors who've given over 700 grand to those who tackled the knife man uh, attacking schoolchildren in Dublin. The courageous Brazilian was one of a number of people who intervened to stop the crazed knife man who slashed at kids at random as they left Gale School Colosh to Verón Parnell Square East on November 23rd. More than 360,000 of the total has gone to uh, English language student Chow, who's 43, who came here to study after his restaurant in Rio burned down. But he has committed to distributing that money uh, to the uh, children's families and to others uh, who had a go to try and stop 
what was happening uh, in split-second reaction times, it has to be said. Tarnished as sues Google over scam adverts using his name, the Irish Independent reporting. Uh, Michal Martin taking a legal action against Google to secure information about the source of scam adverts for cryptocurrency using his name and image. They're all too prevalent. Uh, I would have seen other notable RTE stars and politicians uh, that would have been targeted in this way or used in this way if targeted is the wrong word. The Taunishta has initiated high court proceedings against Google Ireland Limited and Google LLC in an attempt to establish why his name and image are being used for fake adverts. Uh, the Fianna Fáil leader believes the adverts which have been placed on several websites are defamatory and sought to have them removed by Google which complied with the request. He is concerned about the potential for vulnerable people to be taken advantage of by false advertising and obviously doesn't want his image and name associated with that. In order to secure further information about the origins of the fake adverts, Mr Martin was forced to go through the courts. I'm not sure what vetting procedures Google uses and uh, some of these websites use, um, but a cursory glance at these ads uh, will tell you that they're fake. Uh, nonetheless, we'll wait and see what happens to the process of the courts. €127,000, that's the basic combined salary a couple must earn to buy a new three-bed semi in Dublin. A couple seeking to buy a new three-bed house in Dublin need a minimum combined income of €127,000, making home ownership virtually impossible for young people. A new report published today has found that couples looking to buy their first home in either Dublin, Cork or Galway will need more uh, than uh, combined salaries of 100,000, more than 100,000 euro uh, before possibly the banks will consider you. Housing campaigner David Hall told the Irish Daily Mail last night, it's a major challenge even with combined income to own a house now. In fact, it's virtually impossible for young people and first-time buyers to buy now. Uh, Sinn Féin housing spokesman Ono Brin said a whole generation is struggling to get on the property ladder, uh, adding that young people will be forced to emigrate. Restaurant boss charged with death of Irish rugby fan's wife. Involuntary homicide charges have been brought against a French restaurant manager following the, the death of a wife of an Irishman due to botulism. Uh, Marie Gerpiotti died at her home in Paris three weeks after visiting Bordeaux with her husband Cahal Mian from Castlebar in County Mayo to see Ireland play Romania in their opening game of the Rugby World Cup. The 32-year-old is one of 10 mostly foreign diners who fell seriously ill in the space of a week in early September, having eaten improperly preserved sardines at the Chin Chin Wine Bar in the city. Uh, Mr. Meehan, who's 30, also contracted botulism, was hospitalised and treated in intensive care in Paris, but he recovered. Sadly, his wife did not. Back to The Independent, Hollywood star Johnny Depp and singer Nick Cave to join mourners at funeral. Bono and the Edge also rumoured to... uh, to be in attendance tomorrow. Actor Johnny Depp, musician Nick Cave will fly into Ireland for the funeral of their longtime friend Shane McGowan. After much speculation about which uh, famous faces will attend the, Pogue front, the Pogues frontman's final farewell, uh, the Irish Independent confirms both A-list stars will be present for the songwriter's send-off. Depp, who's now 60, uh, was the best man at McGowan's wedding to Victoria Mary Clark in 2018, is said to be devastated at McGowan's death and Cave, who's now 66, called him a true friend and the greatest songwriter of his generation. The route, of course, of McGowan's funeral procession through Dublin has been confirmed. Uh, and it's going to be later in the day that things will take place 
uh, in his native Tipperary. High blood pressure? Well, it's worse if you're married, says the male. Married couples have greater risk of high blood pressure than partners who have not wed, a study has suggested. Research is based in the US analyzed blood pressure levels for three, almost 4,000 couples in the US, just over 1,000 UK couples, 6,500 Chinese couples and 22,000 Indian couples. Participants were recorded as having hypertension if they had high systolic blood pressure measured when your heart beats, high di- di- diastolic uh, blood pressure measured when your heart rests. Uh, or if they had a history of high blood pressure. Uh, A couple in this study was defined as a pair who were either married or partnered and living together. 47% of couples in England, with an average age of 74 in men and 72 in women, had hypertension. 38% in the US, 21% in China, and 20% in India. Now, finally, we'll go to the Daily Mirror and quiche to their own. Play on the each to their own. Um, slogan, double dipping among distasteful acts accepted by many at buffets. Unsavoury behaviour such as double dipping tradi- uh, traditionally left a bitter taste at a buffet. But it is among the unpalatable acts now acceptable to many people. A poll has said that almost half can stomach double dipping and 39% of fine with using their hands to pick up food. 42% think it's okay to hold a space in the line. Other former no-nos include eating food as you stand at the spread, the buffet spread, queue jumping and returning food already picked up. Uh, Co-op also found sausage rolls at the top buffet food, followed by pigs and blankets, which we don't really have here. Uh, kind of sausages wrapped in, um, wrapped in bacon. Not really a huge thing here. And a cheese selection. But a buffet is necessary for 49% of festive party hosts. So if you're having a party, uh, almost half of you will do it in buffet form. It's now 18 minutes past nine. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. 22 minutes past nine on the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Now, there's nothing really quite as magnetic as listening and eavesdropping on a good row. Except, of course, if that good row is happening in the legislative chambers of Doyle Air. And then it gets even more magnetic. And one of the participants in this little spat didn't really get a proper chance uh, to explain everything um, and was being... Uh, was being stopped by the Count Corla, etc. So let's have a listen to it first, and I'll give him a chance to uh, answer in full and explain in full after this. This is lowest common denominator politics from a lowest common denominator political grouping. The issue with the rural independence is that whenever you challenge them, because they're not used to being challenged, they think they can say what they want, where they want, in whatever way they want, and as soon as you challenge them, they seek legal advice, which is what a coward does. A coward reaches for the legal advice when you challenge them on the facts. Now, I know a number of years ago, cold, I know... Never in all lives will be cold. And I won't take that from, I know from this brigade either. All of this is, beware of the outsider, vote for me. There is nothing more despicable, more cowardly, more debased in Irish politics than the actions of the rural independence in relation to the immigration question. Even though their voting record in here is anti-women, anti-LGBT, anti-road safety, anti-worker, 
Because remember, famously, when you brought forward a motion in terms of having a living wage for workers, they voted against it because they might actually have to pay their own workers a little bit more money. How many gap decisions this is, did he cause? This is the How politics you the force of thousand? the rural independence because what they want to I consistently want tell people without telling him the truth. What they want to consistently tell people is you need to be afraid of the outsider. Vote for me. I didn't say I didn't utter a word while I was listening to the falsehoods and scaremongering of the, of the presentations the you made Sorry, deputy, earlier this morning. Please, we'll hold the clock. You can't keep interrupting. Either leave, but let the deputy finish his time. I was elected by the people of Kerry to come up in here. And I was elected by the people of Dublin Bay North. They meant them alone and put me out of it. Deputy, let the other deputies finish their time without interruption, please. Five times over the last month, you in particular, deputy, have linked criminality with immigration. Five times on the record of this House. You have said that elderly people, that women and children are scared alive because of immigration. Are you, any, are you in any way surprised that you are raising temperatures and raising tension and raising fear in local communities, when you consistently, when you consistently you connect like immigration with criminality. You know exactly what you're doing. Excuse you know exactly what you're doing. Me. I want he can't help it. He's a horrible person, order. and he can't help but being horrible. There is order called to the House. Deputy, continue, but speak through the chair, please. Good morning to Michael Healy Ray, Kerry TD and Rural Independence Member. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Mick. And you know, I can't leave the opportunity go without thanking you very sincerely for all the entertainment that you have given us down over the years. Because when, whenever I'm down and out, or if I'm in a bad state of depression, I get the young lads to bring you up on the phone, and and you always put me in a better place. And I actually believe that you'll be the greatest cure for depression in the whole world with some of the antics that you got back, oh, up, my, uh, back over the years. So just to say that I, I appreciate you and I hope everybody else does as well. It's, it's all about a quarter of a century ago, Michael. I had the pleasure of winding up your late father, Jackie, when he was on a train to, to Dublin <laughs> to do his politics. And I was looking for all Ireland tickets and we did make him um, utter some expletives. And I know it went down very well uh, in Kilgarvan. Now, uh, I tell you, we always enjoy doing very, very, very much. I really need that. How am I going to get stuck in you now after such a compliment? Well, I don't know, but I just want to state a couple of All facts. Right. For instance, uh, we had to listen to an awful lot of rubbish there, but look, you have to listen to the wind. But I'll be very, very brief because your own very excellent and hardworking TD, Michael Collins, will explain to you also exactly what we were doing. Uh, we believe that, uh, first of all, our group very, very clearly states we are in favour of migrants coming to this country. Because remember, over the years, they've enriched our society. God forbid if you or I got sick tomorrow, tomorrow morning and if we had to go into a hospital, who will be treating us? More than likely, it will be a person who wasn't born in this country. Who will be driving us, transporting us? Who will be providing a lot of the services in our country? But only people that have come here. So we welcome people from all parts of the world and we're delighted to see people coming here and people coming here and rolling up their sleeves and working. We have welcomed, and rightly so, thousands and thousands of people who are fleeing uh, war in the Ukraine, people who've had the horror of seeing their families blown up, their homes blown up, and they came here seeking refuge, and we welcomed them. And, and for the most part, rightly so. We welcome them, for the most right, part. Yes. 
Exactly. But what we are questioning in our group, and believe it or not, would you believe that the rural independent group, if you were to listen to that man that was castigating us, we're the first group that actually were able to get it onto the record of the doll that we actually had a proper debate, even though it didn't finish up in a proper debate because the other people were just trying to make us out to be something that we're not, trying to say that we're racist trying to say I have people that have worked with me who have come from abroad with over 20 and 25 and maybe even 30 years in some cases and I'm so glad and proud that I've met those people and that they've soldiered with me through good days and bad days and so has everybody else but what we were questioning was there's been a 150% increase in people who are coming here seeking international protection. And what we are questioning and some of the things we want probed is, for example, why is it that 40% of people who come here seeking international protection? And you must make the difference now. I'm not talking about people who are fleeing the war in the Ukraine. I'm talking about other people. How is it that that figure has increased by 150%? Why is it they jump across lots of other countries around Europe to land in Ireland? Isn't it an unusual place that you desperately want to come to Ireland? Yeah, but so, some would say, Michael Healy Ray, that we've been over generous to those coming in from the Ukraine. In fact, that it's a country with 6 to 10% of its geography under assault or under, you know, they're contesting, defending uh, an invading army or whatever, but that there's essentially 90% of the country uh, that could accommodate them. But we're a much more attractive proposition. But what, what our group, we're not even saying that. What we are saying is we're questioning the policy and we're asking the government to look at the policy and not to just have this attitude, well, we have a blank check here and we'll keep paying whatever it needs to be paid. And you must remember then, when a person comes here seeking international protection and they say, we are landing here, we've no passport, we've no documentation, but we want to stay here. It takes a long, long time for that application to be processed. So say, for instance, they're told, we're very sorry, your application is being denied. It could take a year, it could take two years, it could take three years. And they're told, we're sorry, you must leave. Well, then actually there's no enforcement on the leaving. Now, the minister did say yesterday, oh, they're trying to tighten up on that. But what I'm trying to say to you is that whether you're given permission or not, it doesn't make a difference because you can stay anywhere. And that is wrong. And like what we wanted to do yesterday was open this up. It's your money. It's Mick Mulcahy's money. It's the people who are listening to this program this morning. It's their money that pays for everything. One thing that I want to knock on the head in case anybody thinks that, oh, well, Europe back us in this, and like if we are going to spend half a billion, which is the figure, half a billion euros. It, yeah, it's 500 million Ukrainians this year, now. yeah. Yeah, it's 500 not on million. Ukrainians, not on Ukrainians, we're spending this on IPs, international protection people. They might be fine, healthy men that are coming here, and uh, we are paying that bill. But they're essentially and, unvetted but, and mingling in local and small communities. Well, 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 yes, but you see, the other people on the opposition benches yesterday, they were trying to make out that we are saying, though, that they're all bad people and that they're you know, putting the fear of God into people. We are not saying that. What we are doing is we're questioning the policy. Now, if there was any other sector of Irish society that was paying out half a billion euros, I think it would be quite fair to say that we'd question it. Look at, for instance, the man that was doing all the shouting yesterday and looking down his nose, and I said he was a horrible man. I said it yeah, a horrible man is not exactly diplomatic yeah. parlance in the chambers well, of power, well, Michael. Well, well, when a person is behaving that way, 
I, I think I was entitled to call him a horrible man. Look at the things he called us. But what I would say to you about the Labour Party, this is the same Labour Party who abolished the debt grant, the bereavement grant. This is the same Labour Party that attacked women's pensions and that closed down many, many Garda stations in rural areas, which everybody knows now is the wrong thing to do. But so when we come along then and questioning the payment of half a billion euros on one issue, all of a sudden, we're racists. I know on my heart and soul, I'm not a racist. I know plenty, for example, I know plenty coloured people who are a ten times better person than I am and who are what I would call salt of the people and who are sound and who are nice and who are genuine and who are workers and, and I, I'd stake my life with them. And then have a person come along and go accusing us of, in other words, that oh, we have something against people because they're from another background or from another country. To be fair, that's very wrong. And if you take Michael Collins, and I can talk about Michael Collins because he can't go talking about himself so very well, right? And he can't go praising himself. Well, he's, he's, ho- he's holding on the line. I can bring him in if you want. Yeah. Well, 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 what I'm going to tell you about him before he comes on any line, you couldn't get a nicer, more genuine, more hardworking public representative and consult that man by trying to insinuate in some way or another that he, that he is a racist. There isn't a racist bone in his body, nor is there in any of the other members of the Rural Independent Group. And the man that said that we were the lowest common denominator and we were this and we were that, I remind him, our group is actually bigger than the Labour Party. And you know... We'll see how the Labour Party will do the next time. I know that myself and Michael Collins and the rest of us will go before the people humbly with our heads down and we will say, look, we're trying our best. Will he support us or not? And it's up to the, to the people. But we won't be going with the Labour arrogant head up in the clouds. I'm better than everybody else. With the attitude that we had to listen to yesterday. I respect every person and I respect their mandate to go before the people. But to go trying to make out yesterday that our debate was inciting hatred. And another thing that was very bad, it was insinuated yesterday that we only brought this motion before the doll on foot of the rights in Dublin. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Matthew McGrath, who's the leader of our group, has on our behalf, with the last eight months, been looking to bring this before the doll, or if the government didn't want to debate the issue. And I mean, why any government would want to hold back and not have... a a debate on migration policy and on the open door policy that we have in Ireland. And I'll remind everybody, this is the same government and who was supported by Labour in this fact that said that we should have an own door policy that after two months when you come here from wherever in the world, you were legally entitled to your own door. What about the people that we're trying to provide doors to who are from Kerry and West Cork? We have, have 12,000 12, Irish citizens yes. thrown into B&Bs and guest houses. And but, but we have people who are on the housing list. I have thousands of people who are on the housing list in Kerry. And when they heard that we were going to bring in a policy that you were automatically legally entitled to your own door. But but one thing about the own door policy, did you see that the government have, have gone very silent on that lately now and they're not talking about that at all? That was the biggest, most stupid thing that any government ever came out with. And Mike, it was supported by Labour and by the other people on the left. Michael, take, take a breath. I need, I need to try and get a couple of questions in at least. Can I just say one thing to you? And I really apologise for this 
do you mind if I have to leave because Michael Collins will ably take over and, and I'm just under a, there is severe time pressure this morning so can I be excused? Okay, I, I did want to ask you that uh, you, you are benefiting personally from fr- from this. Oh yes, can I, can, I, can I clarify that because I don't ever, I said it yesterday. and 544,000 uh, yes. for accommodating Ukrainians I, to date and that's last year's figures. I'll answer that question no problem. Before I spoke yesterday in this debate, the very first thing I did was I read into the record of it all and I want to say to your listeners, since I was 19 years of age, my thing, I'm in, I, I do canter and I'm still doing canter and I will be doing canter until the day I die if I wasn't. If I wasn't in a suit today, I'd be up on a digger driving it and a building site or in a farm or in a forestry. But uh, since I was 19, I've been involved in accommodation and I've been providing and still provide accommodation to students, to families who are on our housing list. I have a lot of HAP tenants. Uh, I do uh, all that sort of accommodation for all different types of people. And in the last year, maybe year or year and a half, I've been providing accommodation to Ukrainian families, to mothers and children and and dads. Over half a million in in payments and another 322,000 for the uh, um, Rosemont Guesthouse. You've won in Tralee, 221,000. It's, uh, but it's can I just state, I stated this yesterday because I didn't want anybody to say that, or that I was talking about migration without declaring that no, I'm because, because it, it is I, a little disingenuous it, to be bringing up the immigration no, issue, no, having spent the last no, year seriously profiting from it. But, it. but it's not, because the, the immigration that we were talking about yesterday, there were people seeking... Uh, international protection. I said at the very outset, the government, remember, looked for accommodation for Ukrainians. I have a very small amount of the property that I provide for housing, uh, housing Ukrainian families. Is, are you trying to insinuate that there's something wrong with that? No, it's a, ab- absolutely not people. contending that there's, I, there's I, anything I wrong pay, with it. I pay, I pay my tax. I declare it every time there's a debate. I declared it yesterday before I opened. Michael Collins was sitting behind my back. He helped me state before I uh, before I opened my mouth. The statement I read into the record of the doll was, I provide accommodation and I'm providing accommodation to Ukrainian families. There is nothing illegal. There is nothing wrong with that. And I often hear the people in the opposition benches shouting about me and about property. Any property that I have, I work, that I have for, I owe a lot of money to banks, I employ a lot of people, there is nothing wrong with providing accommodation. And like I say, I house students, and I house moms and dads who are from Ireland and who are on the housing list, and I provide housing for elderly people. And anybody that knows anything about property knows it's the exact same as the diggers, it's the exact same as farming. There is nothing easy about it. Yeah, you, I, you, you have to get a return on the asset. I wasn't contending anything. Yes, there, there, exactly, and there's nothing wrong with it. But but, but when I, I know you didn't mean it, but when I hear other people saying, oh, you're doing this, you're doing that, is there something wrong with working, is there? Is there something wrong in Ireland? Like, nobody ever says to me, oh, Michael, how many machines have or how many trucks have or how many cows have or how many cows have but, but they're obsessed with property. <laughs> but I don't care because I continue providing property. And I'm doing it now with nearly four decades. And I'll tell you how many more decades I'll be doing with until I draw my last breath. And I hope that the people that will come after me, that they'll continue working because that's what I'm interested in. And I'm interested in seeing people being up at 6 o'clock in the morning and going till 12 o'clock at night because that's what they should be doing. Because if people are out to work, they're out to work and that's it. 
Okay, listen, I know you have a schedule. I have to respect that. There, 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 there is one small debt I've yet to collect from you. I was promised a pint 26 years ago when I wound up your dad. Would, would, would it be okay to ask? We'll share it together. We'll have one each in, in, the, in the pub and collect the garvin at some stage. If we start ringing people again and winding people up like the poor man with the dogs long ago that you asked him had he a licence for the dogs and the, the, was it the wife or the sister was putting the dogs back in the background. Two major I, problems I, there, Michael. We, we live in a generation yeah. of snowflakes and there's a thing called GDPR. I'd be sued to but, high heaven. We have to consign well, them to, to, to the memories and the nostalgia that they are, I'm afraid. Well, well until the day I die, I'll never forget things like that and I still listen to them and I still enjoy them and I'll always be very grateful to you for the entertainment you gave us. I'm it chuffed at that, Michael. Forgotten. Thank you very never much for that. Forgotten. I'm chuffed. Michael Healy Ray, Kerry TD and Rural Independence member. Thank you very much. Okay, we've got Michael Collins uh, on line two. Good morning, Michael. I have to take a, a short uh, commercial break. Can you hang on? Or are you under yeah, pressure? No problem. No problem. You can hang on. Done. Okay, thanks. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Thank you for holding Cork Southwest TD Michael Collins. Now you're going, or you have started, and are going to lead a new political party. It's been announced. Tell us about that, Michael. Absolutely, Mick. Uh, good morning, and good morning, morning. To your listeners. Um, yeah, Independent Ireland is the new political party. We um, uh, registered uh, with the Electoral uh, Commission a number of weeks ago, and uh, as of uh, last week, we've been accepted as a new political party in Ireland. And um, you know, we're trying to give people a new a new choice uh, as such. And a lot of people are very dissatisfied with. With, with Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. they certainly won't be turning to uh, uh, Sock or Labour because they're going down the polls dramatically and uh, a lot of people don't feel comfortable with Sinn Féin. And we want to give people that um, opportunity to, I suppose, fall towards a party that's going to represent both urban and rural Ireland. And, and um, we set up this, this party. We're talking with a lot. Of, we, we now can talk as such because we are registered as a party, you know, which up to now was, we'd be talking in a vacuum before that. Okay, yeah, uh, you, you, were, you were the rural independent group, a kind of loose affiliation of like-minded people on the independent side. So where, where does Matty McGrath, Michael Healy-Ray, Danny Healy-Ray, Carol Nolan and Richard O'Donoghue stand? Are they all joining a new party? Well, Richard O'Donoghue and myself set up this new uh, party, Independent Ireland. We were, um, uh, actually there was a lot of people talking about it for a hell of a long time and nothing was happening. So we decided to fill that void and and, and at least people can focus now on this new party. Um, as I said, it's only cleared uh, in the last week. So we will be uh, sitting down speaking with TDs that are interested, mainly independent TDs uh, that are interested in, in joining the new party. We have meetings coming up over the next number of weeks and we'd hope to maybe add an number of, of prominent uh, names to, to, to our independent uh, party going forward independent Ireland party going forward but it's our it is and we you know I hate to put figures on it but we hope to be running up to 50-60 uh, local election candidates in, in the next election, but also uh, NMEP candidates in every uh, electoral area uh, come June. And then, you know, as expected, there could be a, a general election within six months, and we hope to have a series of candidates to face the people so that we give an alternative. Because I want to be able to make, I want to be, I want this party to be in a situation that it could go into government if, if it has the numbers, um, and that it, it, we are interested in the government as long as our policies will be accepted in government. And if not, we're going to be a very, very strong new opposition to this country that this country needs at this present time. What There's are your policies, Michael? Is, is, are, are, there, well, are they going to heavily involve your attitudes towards inward migration? 
well, that, that, certainly we're going to, like that discussion took place yesterday. Imagine it took eight months, eight months of pleading in the business committee uh, for us to, to, to bring up this issue about inward migration and it wasn't allowed to be discussed and tightened at all until we decided to use our own motion and our own uh, specific time to, to discuss it. It should have been a discussion. It's such a huge, important issue. It should have been a discussion that uh, was discussed months and months ago and that we might have an agreed way forward. There's no agreed way forward at this time. And now um, the teacher, the other has said over the last week that we should slow the flow. We should have slowed the flow uh, over 12 months ago. There's genuine people in this country, and I've helped some of these genuine people to come into this country, but there's also people that don't need to be in this country. There's certain, um, uh, you know, areas of, of inward migration that's quite questionable, and people have serious concerns. And a lot of people uh, make, don't realise or don't know about people coming into their communities until maybe mm. the night before it happens. And that's this is where the whole breakdown is, and this is where the whole discussion from top to bottom Needs to be, uh, needed to be, and we got that discussion yesterday. And yes, yes, like uh, Deputy Don from the Labour Party said that we were disrupted. Him, we weren't disrupted. He did not address the chair yesterday. If anybody saw the doll, he addressed us. So he was trying to provoke us. Imagine a TD from the Labour Party saying that we're anti-women when to the day took the mother, the, the mother's stay-at-home mother's pension from the women of this country. And they had the chair saying, we're anti-women. So, I mean, look, I'm still quite comfortable uh, about that debate that we had yesterday. Um, uh, throughout uh, the towns and, and villages of this country, people are debating and talking about this issue and have concerns with this issue. And there's people that are happy and accepting them too. And I, I respect that too. But I certainly felt very comfortable that we could debate this it was unfortunately got a little bit rowdy that we couldn't have debated it properly but at least it's now on the floor of the dollars on the record of the dollars that it was debated and I can guarantee you we will have further debates in this going forward because we have to Okay, <clears throat> I do concur with um, with Michael Healy around one thing. I spent a lot of time this year in hospital, and um, t- you know, while there were senior consultants that were of Irish extraction, ninety um, percent of those doing the you know the overnight care and the and, and the daytime stuff uh, on the high dependency wards were from India, Philippines, um, where else? Uh, one or two from Latvia. What's the other big? Um, India, the Philippines, I, I, I can't think of the other one. But I, I remember thinking to myself inside there, what will we do without these people? A lot of them don't make it their intention to stay here full-time. They're, they're training to bring their skills back home. But it's very hard to put your finger on the simmering resentment that's growing in Ireland because a lot of the immigration has been left unchecked and filtering down into villages. And people have this impression that uh, we have, uh, you know, maybe sexually deviant, unvetted males, one or two, uh, leaking into each and every Irish village. It's a worry for people, but it's very hard to put your finger on exactly what's wrong. Yes, and you're correct. Um, there's a, a lot of foreign nationals working in our country, and by God, uh, and t- uh, for that matter, I've been helping a lot of them to get work permits for citizenship, for visas. So I, 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 won't, I won't take any cheek from anyone calling me uh, racist because we want to discuss it. But these are genuine people like ourselves. We travelled to America, we travelled to Australia, we went and we walked. And they're doing the very same in this country and they're great nurses and doctors and there's far more other professions out there. The top test people. But there is a lot of people that are looking to milk the system 
uh, in this country. And and it is proven as a 30% of them have decided not to stay in certain countries but to come to Ireland. It's, 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 a, lo- it's a lovely choice because we're giving some people a very comfortable life. Some are very genuine, more aren't, but certainly people that are working here they're welcome, more than welcome, and we need them here. But there is others, and there is like situations in in, in October. There's one thousand three hundred and eighty-two asylum seekers arrived, with fifty percent being single males. A lot of people have concerns about that because they're saying, "Are they vetted?" The minister got a chance to explain that yesterday. Uh, the vetting system. So I, you know, and some people are coming in here non-documented, which is a serious concern. But yeah, so it, would, it, would it be correct to ask you this question? Has certain elements of inward migration? been left to run out of control by the government? It, it is. When you have a situation where people are living in, in under tents, like I said yesterday, it doesn't matter if you're living, they don't care in this country whether you're living under sleet, metal or plastic, as long as they get them in, get them in, get them in. That's, it's, it's gone out of control and slow the flow. Was, it's, it's now the new mantra of the Irish government will slow the flow. It should have been last year. And we should have been able to take people, a certain amount of people that we could comfortably look after and treat them with respect and not the situation that we find ourselves in today because some of them are sleeping in tents up and down the country here or there. And yes, but a desperate fight to get get uh, housing now has moved out of cities, obviously, because the cities are flooded, are moving into rural communities where 60 or 70 people might be coming to a rural community that's not so, suited to take 10 or 12. And that's nothing, nothing wrong with saying that. That's not being raised. That's being honest. Yeah, and, Michael, uh, I, I've got many friends um, from the our neighbouring island, uh, both, uh, both living there, both living here, and, and living abroad. And to a, to a person... I, I have not seen them receive one iota of benefit from Brexit. And to a person, they would agree with me. They've had nothing from it. It was very then sort of awkward to hear in that debate yesterday Brexit-style campaigning slogans coming in, like, be wary of the foreigner, vote for me. Yeah, well, I wouldn't uh, have, have uh, in any way, shape or form uh, put in any slogans like that or any kind of wording like that. Um, I, I just... I think that, number one, uh, I supported this motion be, uh, to be brought before the Dáil to give us the opportunity, give the country the opportunity to hear the facts, the real facts, and the con- some people have concerns, and they must be... And, and, and remember, in a recent Red Sea poll, 70% of Irish people said, we have done or part. Now, that doesn't mean 70% of Irish people are racist, Nick. It just means people feel we've done our part and that we should at least now hold and see where we are and see can people return back to their country? Can we help them, assist them on their return back to their own countries? Or where do we stand? And I think it's it's a very genuine discussion. And unfortunately, when you discuss this issue, you're deemed straight away a racist. I don't think I'm a racist. I certainly don't feel I'm a racist. I don't want to be racist. I welcome uh, loads of people. I've had people work working uh, with me from uh, foreign co- countries told my life doesn't worry me I don't ever ask anybody where their, their religious colour or creed as far as I'm concerned yep. this is a discussion that had to be had and we had it Your, your colleague Carol Nolan of your rural independent group uh, made this statement the Leash Offaly TD um, she said the state has an obligation to assist where it can but it had to quote unashamedly and without reservation prioritise the welfare of its own citizens, unquote. And noting cases where people have arrived here in Ireland having destroyed their documentation, she said, and I quote, we can survive being a welcoming nation, but we cannot survive being taken for fools and having our generosity abused for another decade or more, unquote. Would you agree? 
Well, you see, look, Deputy Nolan uh, made that statement, and that's fair enough. She she believes in that, and I, I, I agree with some of it. Like, we do have to look at, we have 12,000 homeless people, you know, in our own country, and a lot of people feel aggrieved that accommodation can be got for pe- uh, people that come in from uh, all over the world, and that accommodation could never have been afforded to the people, 12,000 Irish people that were homeless. That should have been also offered to them. Uh, besides uh, those who come into this country. So she's right in saying in relation to looking after her own people, that is a very important issue and a very hurtful issue for a lot of people. Some people come to me and say, I'm not, I'm genuinely not racist, but I'm very ill and I need a medical card and I can't get one if someone can walk into this country and get one. So again, is that person deemed a racist? No, it's a person that's concerned and upset. Uh, that their illness is not being deemed important enough and they can't afford to pay for medication but they can see others uh, can freely get uh, medical care. So like there is concerns out there and that discussion that we had yesterday opened up maybe to some they got them a bit annoyed because they want to, something like Labour and Sockdims they want to just flood Ireland with double and triple the numbers we have. They have no controls. They have no idea. And, and are no proposals. So Democrats had, had a lot of discussion yesterday but they had no amendment in uh, as, to, as to where we go. Okay, l- let me get back to the uh, the new political party that you've formed. Um, are you prepared, for instance, if you're successful, to p- go into a, any possible coalition with Sinn Féin? I, at this uh, present time, we close the door on no political party going into government, no political party. I think it would be wrong. And any political party that uh, turns around and says they won't go into government with this one or that one or the other one are totally, totally wrong and don't understand the feeling of the Irish electorate. The Irish electorate are going to make a decision in the the very near future, maybe within 12 months, as to who's going to run this country. And we need to have a new focus, a new leadership, a leadership that's willing to sit around the table with who or with what and and come to an agreement to run a country to look at the 12,000 people that are homes to make sure that there's uh, to deal with the issues of people, one million people on waiting lists and health to look at so many, uh, look at the farming and the fishing crisis that's in this country that's been ignored. Imagine, imagine we're one of the biggest, we have one of the richest resources at sea uh, that surrounds our country and we've given away our rights to our fishing rights. All these issues have been left and there's, there's, there's so many other things like the war in Israel and, 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 and the immigration issue and all that. They want, they're now at the focus of everybody but do people realise on the 1st of January 40,000 cattle are going to be uh, going to have to be slaughtered in, in this country uh, approximately due to changes that are made in relation to agriculture. So uh, we need a new focus. We need a focus on the, on the people of this country's needs Okay, Michael, I'm going to I'm going to have to leave it there. But genuinely, the very best of luck with your new political endeavour. I, I imagine you'll be attracting all sorts of people who've not been in politics, as well as people from other parties. Yeah, we have a huge amount of interest uh, today from all over the country, and I would say in the next couple of weeks there'll be further announcements. So all that right. uh, should whet the appetite of the Irish electorate. All right, Michael Collins, TD for Cork South West, and uh, one of the rural independents. Thank you very much. News at ten is next. The Voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday, Cork's Red FM. And straight to our phone lines, and uh, this must be very difficult and very sad. It has been so, so immediate, and uh, I'm happy to welcome Melissa O'Connor from Tony's Bistro on the air with, uh, with, uh, with my deepest sympathies, first of all. Uh, you must still be very much in shock. You're James's sister-in-law, Melissa. Hi, good morning, Mickey. Uh, thank, thanks so much for reaching out Um it's just absolutely devastating. Tell, tell us what you know. It's been a whirlwind 48 hours, I can imagine. It definitely has, yeah. Um, what we know, uh, James's 40th birthday, as you've probably read, was 
was on December 5th and he has been months planning his dream trip to climb Kilimanjaro and reach the summit the morning of his, his 40th birthday. Um, that was his goal and his dream. And he set off to do that uh, with his travel companion and buddy, Alan. And everything was going great for them. The climb was being so successful. And he was just a couple of hundred feet from the summit um, on the morning of his birthday when, unfortunately, he had a heart attack, um, is what we know at the moment. And he died very, very suddenly. Um, myself and his brother, my husband, Jonathan, were currently on our way to uh, Dublin Airport to make the journey over to get James home as soon as possible to his wife and his kids and his brothers and his sisters. It's just absolutely tragic. James was the epitome of positivity. He just, he was life. His life was everything to him. His family and he's just such a great, great person. And this is just beyond words. Was it just a random act of God, as they call it? Just so, so unlucky to happen just in the fulfilment of a dream absolutely tragic tragic and would would James have been well known uh, I, I guess through Tony's Bistro very well known but outside, outside of that absolutely overwhelming to see the amount of people that he has in his life and the amount of people that I think he, he must have regularly kept in contact with on a daily basis James is quite a private person the, the family are very private people he wouldn't have been one for public display, but he had private groups on his Snapchat and on his, his private platforms that he must have, we only joked about it last night, he must have been contacting a couple of hundred people every day, just constantly giving people enthusiastic motivation with his, his love for sport. He was a, an avid marathon runner, right? He's run a couple of marathons this year. I think he climbed every mountain in Ireland in preparation for what he was about to, to take on. He was so well-known in all his circles, whether it be through the bistro and just his friends. He touched so, so many people. His tributes have gone out all over, you know, in the space of 24 hours, national newspapers, yourselves, social media, and what people just say about him is just a true testament to who James was. You know, fantastic, legendary person. Yeah, and, so, and, so, and so must, must have been very fit to consider. He would have planned this, you know, over a long period of time. As you say, getting the fitness up there by climbing every mountain in Ireland. Like if there was ever somebody ready for this, it was James. It's, yeah. it's, it's just, you know, his wife Grace said that the only worry and the only fear that she had of him taking the trip is that he wouldn't like the food. He was a fussy eater. <laughs> that was the only worry any of us had with him. He was super fit. He had taken... You know, he even did the stress tests, the fitness tests, just checking the heart, checking all his function before he did this. He didn't go into this blind. He really and truly prepped. He prepped for a long, long, long time. You know, it, it, it's just so, so sad what's happened to him because he was and should have been, you know, mentally and physically ready for this. Yeah, it's so so cruel. You, you, we've heard of sudden adult death syndrome on football fields or after concussion and in in various sports or somebody somebody just falling, but you you don't really expect it um, from a very fit person approaching the final meters to a summit of a mountain. 
And no, definitely not. Now again, you know, it's the only medical information that we have currently. You know, it, of course, Martin, it's been done in James, but we haven't had any results or anything yet. We're only going on the, the medical feedback we had from the guides that were with him on the mountain. You okay. know, that, that was the, the, the medical diagnosis that we've had to date. Um, but, you know, there was nothing known to be wrong with James. You know, he's perfectly super fit, super, super fit and, and healthy. And who's, you know? who's going to Dublin? What's the route out to Kilimanjaro? Um, so myself and John Tinney's brother, we're currently here. Um, we fly at 2pm to Doha and from Doha then connecting flights on to Kilimanjaro. So I think eight hour flight to Doha. Um, we don't have much of a layover. I think it's just over an hour and then on to Kilimanjaro and we should arrive in there for 7.40am tomorrow morning. Okay. And of course, uh, there is quite considerable expense in this. Uh, so let's talk a little about the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. This is a trust that aims to alleviate the financial hardship of bereaved families uh, repatriating the body or bodies of loved one, or loved ones who have died abroad in sudden or tragic circumstances back to Ireland, uh, repatriating them back to Ireland. And that's a very noble trust, the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust. In that, in that instance now, you've set up a GoFundMe uh, and uh, any money paid out by the Kevin Bell Repatriation Trust, you, you're going to pay it back and, uh, and allow them to continue their work. They're sad but necessary work for other families. Yeah, just on, on that, Mick, um, the, the Kevin Bell Foundation, we spoke to Colin Bell, a friend of the family made a call on our behalf um, to Colin Bell um, on the day when the news broke that evening. Um, and they did reach out to us We've had two lovely uh, telephone conversations from Colin Bell and very, very assuring that, you know, they're going to meet us and contact us on the other side and they were making some calls on our behalf um, with regards to repatriation of James. Again, I suppose I've already mentioned very, very private family and an extremely proud family and we had no intention of, of you know, organising any, any such fundraisers. You know, we're willing to cover every cent of the cost of getting James home ourselves no matter what it takes. But there is a huge, huge support and a huge grow for James um, between Cork and Limerick because that's where he currently lives. Um, that's where his wife and children are. And it was just a couple of phone calls yesterday and a bit of persuasion um, to set up and to allow people, to, for the pet family to give people, his friends and his extended family, permission to set up a GoFundMe Um the funds are, you know, advertised on the GoFundMe to help in getting James home. We're going to get James home no matter what it took. You know, that mm. that was never an issue. We have decided to let the GoFundMe run, not for us, for any benefit of, of financial regain on getting James home. We would love to be able to donate back to the Bell Foundation, whatever they, they you know, the costs that they're going to incur in getting James home to us. That will definitely be given back. And his wife and kids, you know, have, have a long journey ahead and we just want to let it run now in his memory because it's taken off and it's exceeded any expectations already. And it's it's beyond our power to stop that. And we're just so grateful that James has so many people in his life that love him and want to support and want to help so much. So we're uh, now... Yeah, I, I think the family that. find a lot of solace and will find a lot of solace in that. Uh, I, 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 I read out... Um, I'm not sure it's a James's quote, but it's certainly very, very relevant to uh, to the, the sad news. Climb the mountain, not to plant your flag, but to embrace the challenge. Enjoy the air and behold the view. Climb it so you can see the world. 
not so the world can see you. With, with words like that, I venture that the uh, the general public and ourselves may possibly never have heard of James's exploits had he summited Kilimanjaro. I get the impression he would have kept it yeah. among his tight circle of family and friends. Definitely, Mick. I, I, I posted that post myself. I, I managed the social media account for the Beast Show and I wanted to find something relevant to post yesterday and that just popped up as the first thing that I googled and it was meant to be found because that was him. He would never have displayed his trip for any public display. It was for him. The challenge was a personal goal. It was for him and it was for he has a young son, eight years old and everything he did in life was to set his, his road ahead of him in a good way and he did that for him every step he took, you know, and the only person that would have shared his journey was his family and his close friends. James did nothing for for the glory or for the honour. He just did it for himself and for his family. So that that quote is extremely fitting for him. He would not have shown, shown the world him. He just would have taken the world in his view, and that was it. Mm. So th- there there is some money raised already. I think thirty thousand is needed. Is that correct? I think that was the target that's been set, and I think it's over halfway there. Over halfway there, sixteen thousand at the moment. Amazing. So, so yeah, how, it was actually, it was my sister-in-law, Regina, took it on herself yesterday to set up that GoFundMe. She's been fantastic with her support. And to be honest, it's also keeping the kids going. They're, they're involved in it and it's keeping them, you know, their thoughts somewhere else. They're doing something productive for for their uncle and, and for their friend. And we want to let that run and that money will be spent in the best possible ways. I, I assume that uh, James's remains will be repatriated pre-Christmas, yeah? We're hoping that it won't take too long, Mick. We're on our way over and we're hoping that we get him back as soon as possible. We can't get any funeral arrangements or anything finalised, obviously, until we get over there and get on the ground and talk to these people who have been extremely helpful. Mm. His travel companion, Alan, is currently still over there and he's been alone since this happened. And he's just been amazing. The man is just a godsend to angels. But he's over there going through this on his own and he's going to fly home today to be back with his family. So as he leaves, we'll arrive in tomorrow morning. And you guys will take over. So a wonderful husband, a super father, an amazing son, a fantastic brother, loving uncle, friend and hero to many who exuded positivity. And anyone who ever had the pleasure of meeting it would know they would never again meet another like James. The chef and the life of family run uh, restaurant Tony's Bistro in North Main Street in Cork City who had a heart attack 100 metres away from the summit on his 40th birthday. If there's any comfort or solace to be found uh, in that he passed doing what he loved doing and he passed trying to achieve an ambition um, we we hope you'll find it guys. Um, How how can people access the GoFundMe? Um, It's it's, it's circulating on on social media. I hesitated to share it on on the Tony's Bistro um, social media pages. Have it here. Thanks, Kevin. It's uh, help us bring James home. We, we will, of course, share it uh, on the Neil Prandeville Show social media as well and try and give you that little bit of a jizz up you need to get the the required funds. Uh, so and, and, and very nice of you, not just to be doing uh, a GoFundMe for James's family, but to repatriate every penny that uh, the trust will, spe- will spend, the Kevin yes. Bell Repatriation Trust, and that they, may pay, they, they might pay it forward to somebody else, which I'm sure they will. 100%, and that will be, you know, James's gratitude. That's what he would want if he wouldn't want anybody out Ascent on on his behalf. So, whatever you know, the the Bell Foundation um, cost, you know, the, the expenses at that cost, we will get a, a detailed amount, and we will give back as as 
every single cent of it from this from this fund that's what it's for and let let his family decide after that any excess or you know but I can guarantee you it, it will all go to good use I'm sure there will be many pictures now dug out of uh, of James and put on the walls of uh, Tony's Bistro. Might I suggest that that fabulous comment you posted yesterday be put next to one of them. Uh, climb the mountain not to plant your flag, but to embrace the challenge. Enjoy the air, behold the view, and climb it so you can see the world, not so that the world can see you. Rest in peace, James. Thank you very much for coming on. And um, best of luck on, on, on your long and sad journey. And um, the very best wishes for repatriating James' body uh, to, to the family, hopefully in time for Christmas. Thank you so, so much, Mick. And thank you to everybody who has donated on this GoFundMe and has shown words of support and, and paid James the tribute that he deserves. He would be so, so proud. And it would, everything that's been done is so deserving. He so deserves it. Safe journey, Melissa. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you. Bye bye. 22 minutes past 10 now. The voice of Cork, Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM. And Neil returns at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. In the meantime, it's Mick Mulcahy. I'm delighted to welcome back on air Beata. Hi, Beata. Yeah, hi, Mick. How are you? I'm very good. Now, we ha- we've had dozens of texts asking us for updates, and I couldn't get to it yesterday, but I'm delighted to bring you back on today. Our little chat on Monday made the national press, by the way. You and I got honourable mentions in The Mirror, The Independent, and The Irish Times, no less. So well, you're- yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely gobsmacked. Um, <laughs> I, I, I googled woman in cowshed, and I was absolutely amazed to see what coverage it got. That is amazing. I was called a trailblazer. <laughs> it was huge. And I think you're, you're representative in some fashion of the squeezed middle. You have, to all intents and purposes, a decent job. You have massive commuting costs, of course, and really trying to make ends meet, having been essentially evicted from your mobile home because of the repossession of the, of, of the land that that was on. How's it been the last few days? It's absolutely been teeming down under a yellow um, rainfall warning. Before that, it was absolutely sub-zero temperatures. How have you, how have you been getting on the last few nights? Uh, the last few nights was thanks to a very, very lovely lady um, I now have a gas cooker inside, not a gas cooker, a gas, a gas heater um, that she provided for me. And um, she also gave me a canister of gas to go with it. So that made a big difference. But it is still cold. Uh, it does not happen, uh, heat the whole space. So if I go from one end to the other, the other end is like, um, yeah, uh, very, very cold. It's Baltic. Um, but it, it has made a big, big improvement. Um, <clears throat> and now that it is raining, um, of course, the dampness um, is a major issue. And there is water seeping in here and there. Um, I have, um, since I've been there, made some improvements to all that. I don't have any flowing rivers through it anymore but um, there is still water coming in here and there yeah, I, I, I hasten to add, you're now the first human occupant of a cow shed that was for maybe a couple of hundred years used yeah. only to house animals yes, yes, absolutely um, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of fighting the elements um, there to um, yeah, claim it for, for human habitation and what level of furniture do you have, Beata? I have a bed. Um, 
I have a bed, a very a comfortable bed. I once upon a time invested in, like many years ago, I invested in a good mattress. Um, I got um, a very good duvets and uh, pillows and warm bed clothes because I always found that very important that you bed yourself well. But I don't have I don't have a, a couch or anything. I wouldn't have the space to put it. Um, and uh, I don't really have kitchen units or anything like that mm-hmm. because again, where would I put it? Um, I'm. I have the, like there. There is a little um, drawer there that I am using, or like a little chest. Sorry, there that I am using as a <clears throat> kitchen facility. Um, and I have two shelving units for um, whatever bits I need for for the kitchen or for my clothing. Now, with the power of live radio and a very emotive story, which you which you very eloquently told us, uh, we had before the end of an interview, the interview, uh, an offer from a very kind man who who really wants to remain anonymous. We had his first name, but has offered some land uh, that you can view over the weekend. But there may be a few issues there to be ironed out regarding planning, etc. Would you think? Uh, yes, yes, I have been in contact with uh, Citizens Advice. And uh, they also said as well that our citizens' information, as it's now called, um, but they have also been telling me that I should get into uh, contact with the local authority and uh, apply for planning permission. Because <clears throat> if somebody objects to the mobile being there, um, I could be um, evicted out you of there again. again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Starting. Starting again. Where it is started off. Well, let me offer you a faint glimmer of hope here. I'm hoping, just hoping, that we might have a little Christmas surprise for you. Good, oh, m- good morning, David. Morning. Morning. You've been listening to Beata's story, possibly reading about it in the National Press at this stage. It's it's tug- tugged on the heartstrings, and you've got something to offer. I have. I have a disused farmhouse has running water, it has black boiler heating, and no, there's an ex- that's it, there's an ex- that's it, there's an extension on it, but the roof needs doing that for the kitchen, but she'd manage way there for the time being, but needs a bit of cleaning up, but the offer is there. Old farmhouse and needs a little bit of work. Oh, Habitable. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's only chiller. I actually, I actually talked to you a couple of years ago about my uncle that got this lady, a different lady, you know, took money off him. I was talking to it must be about fifteen years ago. Okay, um, so. you're still you're still a radio listener then. This uh, you, 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 you say killer is it on the Castle Martyr side or the old side? That's right, yeah, on the Castle Martyr side. Castle Martyr side, so yeah, so she's about half an hour from Cork. Yeah, you're, and you're on, you're working on the periphery of the city, uh, Beata. That's essentially a motorway all the way to work. <laughs> uh, yes, it is. It is. Oh my God, David! Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, so much. No, about it all. So no, it needs a bit of work. Like so, we're willing to give you a hand as well with it. myself, my son, be there. So. <laughs> Oh my God! This is a Christmas miracle. <laughs> Beata, how how soon could you get to see the property? Today. Today. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> well, I, I'm not trying to be covetous or anything, but I'm finishing up here tomorrow. I wouldn't mind having a a, a nice little Christmas end to the story before Neil comes That's back. That's right, Jim. Well, okay. I can I can meet her on five or half five yet this evening. Five o'clock yeah. maybe before. You can give her my number and she can make contact with me afterwards. And okay, with with your ca- with your camping I, I toilet, Beata. Off, off here. With your camping toilet, Beata, you'll be uh, delighted to know that this has plum sewage. You're going to have water. You're going to have electricity. You will need some furniture. So uh, maybe there are some people out there who I, are disposing I, of furniture yeah, that you I, could take. I'll get around to that. I mean, I've managed so far without. And um, if I have to manage another couple of weeks, whatever, without a blooming sofa to sit on, I think uh, you'll, you'll have timber for the fire. You've timber as well, uh, yeah. <laughs> so fantastic sewage, water, electricity on the Killa side, on the Castle Martis side of Killa. So you're essentially six or seven miles from Middleton, I imagine, on the on the motorway. That's right. Yeah, that's right. David, I don't know what to say. I'm absolutely. You have your own private lake. <laughs> That's 14 acres of a lake in front of the house. David, you're a very kind-hearted gentleman. How how come the old farmhouse wasn't developed and rented by yourself? Oh, it was one time, but we problems with people we didn't there, so we just uh, we leave it idle. Okay. So we built a new we built a new bunker ourselves, like so. That's why it's there now, like so. Okay, l- listen. Uh, no, it, not, it, none it, of us. No, ex- didn't didn't um, rolls rice thing now, like, but you know, she's better the kosher than she's in. Yeah, you're, it's 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 not the Ritz. Um, how how far it's will your not. will your generosity extend, David, as as regards rental costs or whatever that might be down the line? She's not in much of a position oh, now. Oh, look, to... we we live alone for the moment, and uh, she gets herself on her feet, and <laughs> we'll see what what happens in like. Okay, let let's let's give Beata some airtime now. Is that a nice Christmas surprise for you, Beata? How do you feel? I'm. I'm. I feel like I'm starting to hyperventilate. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I am. I am absolutely overwhelmed. I'm gobsmacked. I'm happy. I have pills running up and down. Uh, I can't describe it. Yeah. Oh, what a lovely, lovely, kind person. <laughs> Well, we're going to put the two of you together in uh, in phone contact, and if you can get down to this evening, would you do that? And maybe we can finish up with a with a report tomorrow. We'll try and get you some furniture. Uh, we we are going to ask you to do one thing: get a Christmas tree up and send the Neil Prendeville show a, a picture of the Christmas tree in your new home, so we can put it on our social media before Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I'll I'll call it. Um, I'll send Nick you my McCarthy. call as well. <laughs> <laughs> the Red FM Nick McCarthy tree. <laughs> <laughs> D- David, are you well known in the area? Would you prefer your surname not to be given out? Or I don't mind. Uh, yeah, I'm well known. You can you can give it the name. I don't mind. Okay. Well, we'll 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 cover all of that. But Beata, we we have a definite pathway to housing for you, uh, due, due to the kind nature and big heart uh, of David and an old farmhouse in Killa. And we'll try and push it along. And uh, all we expect is that picture of the Christmas tree, Beata. Okay. 
Okay, thank you, thank the, you, thank you. Thanks, everyone. In the meantime, anybody with decent furniture is welcome to call us or text us 0818 104 106 on, on the phone or by text on 0868 104 106. Uh, t- thanks, David. Hang on a second there, Beata, if you don't mind. Thank you very much, David. Okay, thank you. Okay. Right. Uh, just, thank you, right, thank David. You. Thanks. Well, my son, okay, Beata. Thanks, David. Okay, Beata, hold on for me there, please. You must just take a short commercial break. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. 18 minutes to 11. Welcome back, Beata. I hope you've had a chance to catch your breath and uh, some of the emotion has settled. Uh, uh-huh. it, it's, it's, good, yeah. it's good news for you. From a cow shed to uh, a disused farmhouse that needs, admittedly, a bit of work. But you have three things uh, that you don't have. You have proper sanitation. You're going to have electricity that will take more uh, than just running a TV. It'll take it'll take some heating appliances, etc. Uh, and of, of course, you you have the the comfort of a roof over your head, uh, and one that's going to be much better insulated than a cow shed. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, like I am sitting as as a friend of mine here having a cup of coffee. Because for some strange reason, I said no, don't go into work today. And here we go. <laughs> now I know why um, my my subconscious, whatever, was telling me. So I am sitting here in the house of a very dear old friend of mine. And, uh, yeah, we were hugging in the meantime. <laughs> and uh, her, her husband, who is home today as well, um, said he can help with any work that needs to be done. He's very handy um, around the house. He's not just handy in size, Mike. <laughs> no, he's also handy around the house. Um, and they will help with everything and anything. So oh, over, we're sitting here shedding a tear, hugging and uh, going to, oh, you have this, you have that. And, oh. um, yeah, it, it, it's going to take a minute or two to comprehend. I understand, but if if you could, if you could make the effort to get uh, down there today and see it and we can maybe yeah, have a, a bit of a catch-up tomorrow. We're going. Well, can, um, can I make a small done? confession to you? Yeah. And the reason I asked you to hold over the commercial break is because I know that the people of Cork are very big-hearted. I knew if I kept you on... Uh, well, actually, it was Kevin Galvin's idea. He knows the people of Cork and their big-hearted uh, generosity. We knew that some people would offer some other things. Uh, David Doherty is the owner of Doc Decor. Hi, David. I make all things right. I'm good, man. Yourself? Uh, not too bad, no, at all. Not too bad. What can you do for us? Well, look, we we be um, we'll volunteer our services there for we can come down and paint two rooms for that lady there. Um, no, make it won't be this side of Christmas. It'll be the first week in January. That's uh, understandable. Maybe she wants yep. the kitchen done and maybe the bedroom done. Mick, you know, we 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 look after. Her. There's no hassle at all. She's the the paint and we'll do the labour. Okay. Or even if she's willing to go with just white everywhere, we have the white. There's no problem there. We, white we'll white may suit an, an old farmhouse. You never know. I, I've got a yeah, great I've it. got a great buddy in the painting game, uh, Alan Murphy, known to the world as Chuckles. Maybe I could strong arm him for two cans of paint. You never know. There you go. There you go, Mick. Yeah, and we look after that lady. Okay, that's two rooms painted. Thank you. Thank you so no, much. No problem. No problem at all. Thanks, David. Thank you. We can do No problem, Mick. Thank you very much. And, and, and we Thank salute you, your Christmas David. spirit. Thanks, David. No hassle. Have a good Christmas, lads. Thanks uh, very much. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye. Miriam is on line five. Hi, hi, Miriam. Hi. Hi. Say hi to Beata. Hi, hi Miriam. <laughs> How are you? 
Uh, I'm sitting here gobsmacked. I've got chills running up and down my spine. I, I'm like my head is in a tizzy, and I am just happy, <laughs> happy I'm and relieved for you, Beata, because yeah. the circumstances you're living in are appalling. Now, I have a three-piece suite, Beata, if you're interested. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's in perfect condition and everything, and it's a lovely suite. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Now, if you want, I don't know, maybe somebody would collect it for you. We're up in North Cork near Carrig Navarre, so Saturday might suit. If you could, maybe the show would get somebody there to collect it and deliver it to you. Now we're looking for a van. Is man with a van listening? Terence Mullen. <laughs> He's probably abroad somewhere. Anyway, that three-piece suite is in perfect condition. Yeah, yeah. And you're happy to give no it away? Problem. Yeah, no problem whatsoever. Okay, North Cork needs to be collected so we could do with a van if you want to contribute to this very Christmassy and worthy cause for Beata. Uh, we won't say exactly where you are, but we'll put the, the van driver in touch uh, with both addresses if we have somebody willing to do that. Uh, Miriam, we salute your Christmas spirit as well. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome and delighted that things are getting started for Beata. Great stuff. And you know something? Yeah. Giving at Christmas also makes you feel happy, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. Right. Thank you, Miriam. You're very welcome. Thanks. Um, Thank you, Miriam. You're thanks. very welcome. Bye. Somebody just texted. Merry somebody, Christmas. Thanks. Merry Christmas, Miriam. Merry Christmas to you too. I hope it's the best one ever, Beata. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. okay. Um, Mor- Morris has just texted in Beata. New name for the programme, Mickle Fix It. Um, great result for Beata um, I have some furniture for that lady and I live close to Killa so that's one that uh, we'll, we'll put them in touch you're going to be getting some strange numbers ringing your phone uh, Beata they won't be any of those scam calls so uh, it will be people big hearted trying, trying to look after you to, to get the house done up in some form or fashion before Christmas Connor O'Sullivan from COS Systems in Cork will sort you out with a TV and Serview system for Christmas, the free-to-air system. Uh, I was just uh, listening to the show. I've recently moved house myself. I've got a black glass TV stand. I also have a Christmas tree. I would be glad to give to Beata. Uh, Anything else I think she would need that I have, I will give to. Uh, How about that? That is so, so kind. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't okay. think I've ever said thank you as much in my life as <laughs> you. Oh. Oh, you're like Bar- Barry McGuigan. Thank you, Mr. Eastwood. Uh, line one, Loretta. Hi, Loretta. Oh, hi. <laughs> I'm just coming out of Dunn's doing my shop and your man is looking at me now and I have to park up. Hi, uh, we have... Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, go on. <laughs> go on. No, no, I'm carry on. Into... You're going to offer no, something, no, no, obviously. Was just, he was telling me I was blocking his way, but I'm okay. So um, I just heard them on there. She seems to have everything, does she? Um, well, I think you might have a kitchen table, do you? Oh, yeah, we do. And we have kitchen tables and chairs, a rug and uh, a single mattress. So, uh, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, and we might have a few more bits as well. It's just that we got a new kitchen. I was only finished yesterday, so we have a lot of stuff out in the shed, so we could have a lot more stuff. But that's what I can think of at the moment, the kitchen, tables and chairs, the mattress and the rug, if that's any help. That sounds absolutely fantastic and it's absolutely great help. And uh, yeah, once I've, I've seen the house this afternoon, 
I know exactly what what is needed. And um, yeah. yeah, and thank you so much again for your very kind offer. Okay, I, thank I, you. Sure, I leave my contact details anyway, and you can take whatever you like. I don't mind. That's great. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, Loretta. Happy Thank Christmas you. to you and yours. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay, you too. Bye. Okay. Beata, you must feel great. Uh, and look, you're brave enough to come on the air and, you know, put your situation forth. And um, you must feel lucky as well, though. And, and we're not forgetting, of course, all of those 12,000 people who are struggling to find a home for Christmas. But it, yeah. seems, it seems like a little bit of Santa Claus fairy dust has been sprinkled on you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This is like the the miracle of Red FM. <laughs> um, forget 34th Street. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's um, absolutely amazing. I am gobsmacked and, and um, amazed at the kindness of people. And, we, and it, it, it continues, it continues. Um, I wonder, do we know anyone in the tile supply business? Because Chris Myers, who is a great tiler, uh, two, two of the hardest trades to get at the moment are tilers and plumbers, uh, Beata. But Chris Myers is a tiler uh, and we salute him because he'll do any work that you need. He just obviously uh, needs the tiles. So uh, yes. th- we'll put that appeal out there. They don't have to be the sexiest tiles in the world. Maybe one of the big tile suppliers in Cork, I know a few of them, uh, would have some maybe end-of-range tiles. Uh, once they, they look good and they're clean, they don't need to be um, Villeroy and Bosch or anything like that. They don't no, need to no. be Rolls-Royce. So Chris Myers, a tiler, hard trade to get, will do any work that you need. Uh, you just need the tiles. So you're going to be adding value to this property for the very kind David as well. Wow, I am. Um, that is just wow. Thanks, thanks for that very, very generous offer of that Tyler, and uh, yeah, David will surely appreciate that too. <laughs> um, yeah, like it's great that I'm adding value to the place <laughs> uh, with the with the help of all these these kind offers. Um, and uh, yeah, I feel that's the least I could can do for for David because he's the one that's offering the house. He's offering the the main thing. Yeah, I, look, we're we're, we're going to get all these numbers to you, but just just to recap on the generosity of uh, Cork suppliers and the expertise suppliers, David Doherty owns Doc Decor. Uh, he's offered to paint two rooms free of charge. You need to supply the paint. I'll try and work on that. I'll buy it myself if I can't find it. Right, uh, Miriam has a three-piece suite in perfect condition. She's happy to give it to Beata. Uh, just needs to be collected. We'll try and organise that. If we have anybody with a van, uh, we'd happily take that uh, free offer. Uh, it's one journey. Collect the three-piece suite and drop it to Killer. Uh, somebody will have a big enough Christmas heart to do that, I'd say. Connor O'Sullivan, COS Systems and Cork, sorting you with a TV and a Serview system for Christmas. Uh, a black glass TV stand and a Christmas tree is also there. Uh, and I think I think that came from Morris. Other furniture that you can examine close to Killer, which won't take you too far from uh, the property. Uh, somebody else has a table and chairs and a rug. Um, 
we we took that lady on the air. Uh, she also has a single mattress you can uh, consider. Uh, we've Chris Myers, the tiler, uh, doing any work you need. He just needs the tiles, and I've put out an appeal for that. Kevin has an undercounter fridge, a bed, a wardrobe, a whole table, a three-piece a sweet kitchen table. If Beata needs, if you could pass on my number, and she can examine. Uh, hi, McMull. I can do a small kitchen unit or two to help with any carpentry. It'll be after Christmas. Uh, I'd like my name to stay anonymous, please. And happy Christmas to all. So how about that? A small kitchen unit or two on the wall. Uh, and any other carpentry work you need after Christmas uh, from Mr. Anonymous. Thank you, big-hearted Mr. Anonymous. Hi, I have some furniture and storage in a storage unit in Cove Cross. If Beata, Beata wants to look uh, at it for her new home in Killa, nothing fancy. But there's a two-seater couch, small table, four chairs, dressing table and locker, single bed and a double bed. I don't want to go on air and my name to be read out, but if Beata wants any of it free of charge, please ask her to give me a call or a text. I have a corner unit and a coffee table for the lady if she'd like them. Uh, another anonymous uh, donor. Guys, I've loads of bedclothes, duvets, and now they're all double bed size. Uh, might be handy to have for her. They're new as well. Hi, Pierce Field here. I have a king-size bed frame if she wants it. Uh, hi, Mick. We have an air fryer, about a year old. I can deliver if needed, says PJ McNamara in Yall. That's not going to be too far from you. And uh, on line three, we have Derek Maguire. Uh, uh, morning, Derek. Good morning, Mick. How okay. are you? Very good. You've got an Aqualogic. What exactly is an Aqualogic? Aqualogic. We're 25 years in business this year. We, we installed drinking water coolers in the office and factories and workplaces and we branched into the, the domestic market where we put in under sink water filters and, and a spare drinking tap on your sink. That's, that's and I'd be delighted to give that lady a free under sink water filter and pure water. No, she doesn't need to buy any plastic bottles or anything. So, no. Fan, fantastic. I, 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 I have one on the house for years. Um, I, I, I think drinking tap water is not very good for your health. Um, no, no, no. We'll take all the chlorine out, all the impurities, any bacteria in the area, no problem. She'll she crystal clear drinking water. Okay. Derek Maguire, Aqualogic, 25 years in business. Thank you. Under sink filter and a drinking water tap. Edgar, thank you, Derek. Thank you very much, mate. Ed Garvin is from Garvin Window Cleaning. Ed, you'd be happy to do the full package free of charge to dicky up the house, would you? Yeah, no problem at all. Um, we get the, all the exterior sorted. We'll be sending the last thing to do, really. It's kind of the finishing touches. We'll do the interior glass as well for her. The interior and the exterior windows and... Uh, yeah, all the guttering, empty clears, all the outside of the guttering, treated and cleaned, all the face and stuff at the whole way around. We'll soft wash all the front of the house as well. Where are you based, Ed? We're based in the city, but we cover most areas of Cork, which is kind of the exception to kind of West Cork, you know? Okay, so you, you've, you've got a full range of services there. Gutters cleaned, ensuring full water flow, PVC gutter cheek, a leak check, exterior of all gutters cleaned, downpipes cleaned, fascia and soffit cleaned. Might as well give you a plug, seeing you're so generous. And all exterior window frames and doors cleaned with our reach and wash purified water system. How big-hearted of you. Thank, thanks to Ed and Derek and all of the rest of the contributors. Thank, thank you very much, Ed, and happy, happy Christmas to you. Cheers, you too, cheers. Okay, I'm... Uh, Beata, I know you're not originally from Cork, but did, did you know the expression, I'm flared out? <laughs> As am I here. 
We have we have a van driver, by the way. A cork uh, truck driver contacted us on Twitter, so we've the van sorted as well. This is going to be a logistical nightmare for for the uh, Neil Prendiville Show production team, uh, but uh, we we ha- try to help out in any way we can. So that's the van sorted uh, for that furniture from uh, from North Cork. Uh, Beata, hopefully you go and view the house, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Oh, I will most certainly go to view the house. Um, I'll take picture. I have my friend take pictures while we're there. And I'll send them in um, ahead of the Christmas tree. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll have a brighter day than when you began to, to speak to us this morning. Thanks, Beata. Certainly, certainly. Thanks, Thanks. again to everybody and, uh, yeah, especially you. All the best. No problem at all. It's the production okay. team, not me. Uh, yeah. I don't take any glory here. It's all their hard work. We have news at 11 on the way. The Voice of Cork. Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. Approaching 10 past 11. Barry Roach is the Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times and joins me on our WhatsApp line. Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Mick. How are you doing? Good. Now, the old adage, a puppy is for life, uh, not just for Christmas, uh, starts to ring true here. Uh, tell us about what's going on in the uh, veterinary inspector's situation, seizing dogs worth over €80,000 from a North Cork puppy farm. Uh, the owner here apparently failing to comply with requests to reduce the number of breeding bitches. Yeah, it's a, a case involving a woman called Anna Broderick, and she lives at the Hermitage in Ballyandrew in Donneril, and last year, Cork County Council issued a closure notice against her a dog breeding establishment there because she'd exceeded um, the number of breeding bitches that she was allowed to have. And they said the establishment posed, quote, a serious and immediate threat to animal welfare. So she appealed it, that closure order, and the appeal court is the district court. So over the last three days, well, actually, there was a hearing, a day of hearing back in June, but over the last three days, Judge Colm Roberts heard the case, heard her appeal in Mallow and uh, yesterday evening about half four, having heard from a total of uh, 12 witnesses five for the council and seven for Miss Broderick, he phoned against her, he dismissed her appeal and he affirmed the closure order uh, and said that he'd phoned the evidence of Cork County Council Veterinary Inspectors Carl Nolan and Edmund O'Sullivan independent vets Kevin Webster and Murray Pickett Wallace, Wallace Pickett, my apologies, and Emma Carroll of the ISPCA to be compelling. He said he found the evidence of uh, Anna Broderick's witnesses, including four vets, uh, to be, and Miss Broderick herself, to be helpful and informative, but it did not undermine or rebut the evidence of the respondents. That, that's the council. So he dismissed the appeal and he affirmed the closure order. So um, the background to what we'd heard over the previous three days was that. Uh, on October the 6th and October the 14th last, uh, Carl Nolan and Edmund O'Sullivan visited the farm and they found that uh, Anna Broderick had 81 breeding bitches, even though at the time she was only registered at 50 and she had some 240 dogs in total. And they told her that they found dogs with no water or proper bedding in many instances. There was no heating on the coldest day of the year when temperatures dropped down to under one degree Celsius. And uh, they found that one dog was actually eating its own feces, which was indicative of malnourishment. And... Um, the dogs, the closure order process took place over the next two or three months. There were a couple of follow-up inspections, but there was a closure order issued and they went out on the 23rd of January this year and the 1st of February to remove dogs. There were a total of 81 dogs removed uh, because they'd exceeded the number. And they were then handed over to independent vets who didn't know where they came from, but examined them. Uh, they were handed to the ISPCA. The ISPCA brought them to independent vets, uh, Maureen Pickett, Wallace Pickett, and she examined... Uh, 
23 of the 24 dogs removed in February and she said the most striking thing about them was that they stank of urine and their coats were matted with dried feces. Of course, that burns their feet as well. That burns their feet. They ended up with uh, uh, ulcerative uh, lacerations in their feet. The, um, a urine, urine breaks down into ammonia, that fumes that goes into their eyes, cause conjunctivitis, goes into their lungs. Um, and she also said, uh, with that, the fact that they had stank of urine and had dried uh, feces in their um in their coat, indicative of them actually lying yeah. and standing in, in their own waist, effectively. And uh, she also said that she examined them, as I say, 23 to 24, and she said that eight of them had uh, eye problems, uh, 15 had teeth problems, I think nine had ear problems, their body condition scores were low, they should be about three or four or four or five, they weren't great. Um, and the other thing was that they were, uh, we'd heard from the council vets as well that dogs were what they called meerkat standing mm. you know when you see meerkats and they stand on their hind legs when yeah. dogs are doing that they said that's a sign of them not being properly socialised they're trying to look out of their sheds it's indicative of not getting enough exercise yeah, I, so I, I, I suppose to, to be properly stimulated if that's the correct word a dog would need uh, direct attention uh, would need a measure of love and would need some appreciation or approval uh, from from its owner. How can you do that with hundreds of dogs at the farm? Yeah, there were so many. We heard yesterday from Anna Broderick and her explanation for it. Well, she said she set up the dog breeding establishment in 2016. Initially, it was very successful and she was running without any issues and sales were coming initially by word of mouth. In more recent years, she'd advertised on done deal in dogs, dogs.ie and then she set up her own website. Then around 2018, she said, she was contacted by another dog breeder looking to source pups for export to Singapore. And when she supplied them with some dogs, she looked at exporting directly to Singapore herself with the dogs being shipped in crates from Dublin Airport via Doha to Singapore. And she said she brought in about 100 pups to export, not to breed. But she ran into difficulties as she was the last breeder to get into the export business and couldn't secure any cargo handlers to ship the dogs to Singapore. The result was a delay in the shipping of the pups. And once they turned six months, then they're too big to send because you need a vaccine. They can yeah. be sent up to 16 weeks without rabies vaccination. Without search. rabies vaccinations. The other- they are expensive. Labradors, retrievers and husky pups. A uh, surprising part when I read that piece in your article. Yeah, could, big, could fetch no, several thousand euro as opposed to around 500 yeah, here on the domestic that. We heard that. Her barrister said they were fetching several hundred thousand in, uh, per pup in Singapore as opposed to about 500 domestically. But the range of dogs from Jack Russells, Poodles, Yorkies, uh, Pomeranians, uh, Schnauzers, up to big dogs like Labradors, Retrievers, Huskies and Alsatians. Um, she said then the other consequence of the delay was the dogs then turned six months and when they turned six months, then they were qualified or they were registered or classified as uh, breeding bitches. So that explained the increase in her breeding bitch mm. total. Okay. And she said that on October the 6th, 2022, when she was visited by those council inspectors, Carl Nolan and Edwin Sullivan, she had 61 breeding bitches, 21 stugs, stud dogs to breed with them, and 148 pups, including the 100 she bought in. And she ended up with a total of 230 to 240 dogs. And That's a hell of a feeding as, bill, as isn't say, it? She was only registered to have 50 breeding bitches, so that was part of the problem. Miss mm. uh, Nolan said she found some 214 dogs at the farm uh, with many in poor condition, including some who were underweight with matted fur and exhibiting uh, signs of poor socialisation. And that would be timidity or nervousness and fear. Fear, aggression, yeah. This business where the dog would flee and then suddenly snap at you. Yeah. Um, because that's asked her for her papers for all the dogs uh, on October 6th and she refused 
uh, and then they asked her again uh, later that month and again she refused she said in court she regretted not showing the papers but when it was put to her why did she do that she said the first reason was that she kept all her paperwork regarding the dogs including her passports vaccination starts in a port cabin office in the yard but it was an old structure and she transferred them to her house while the new port cabin was being constructed but then the judge said to her if she could produce paperwork for her own vet- Brian Roach around that time when he came up with the passports for dogs for export why couldn't she give them to Miss Nolan? And then she said the second reason was that she panicked. I was afraid to show them to Carl Nolan in case she failed me. I failed to fill in the dog's sex or colour or some form. So under a lot of pressure at the time and I panicked and she grieved the judge that she had allowed a small problem to become a big problem but she promised to uh, comply with all future requests if she was allowed to continue. She's down to five dogs now. If you have less than five dogs it's not a breeding establishment so you're not governed by the uh, Dogs Breeding Establishment Act of 2010. Mm. Uh, but she said amongst she got a lot of death threats she got a lot of abuse on social media including death threats which is the most horrific thing she received and what she found most Hurtful was a suggestion that she didn't love dogs and that she was in the dog breeding business simply to make money without any regard for the welfare of the animals under her care. And she said, I take pride in my dogs, I love my dogs, and I took pride in people coming to buy my pups. You have to have the standard of your stocks. So I made sure they were all healthy. I love my dogs. They're more than just a business for me. They're my companions and they're a great comfort. So but what's um, the solution here, Mary? Her sincerity what's the solution? Will Anna Broderick be, be helping in achieving that solution? Well, the solution at the moment is that her uh, dog breeding establishment is closed down. It is open to her to apply again uh, for a, a license from the council. Where do all those dogs go? In, in, into local pounds or what? They were um, rehomed a lot of them and some given to uh, dog rehoming charities. Uh, some were taken to the ASPCA uh, and I gather they've all been um, uh, re- rehomed. But um, the judge said he didn't doubt that she loved animals. It was simply that she didn't hadn't exhibited uh, sufficient. She hadn't responded first of all to the council's improvement notices, which they made recommendations to for things to do, which she didn't do. Uh, and then she hadn't really shown that she was capable of managing that level of dogs. One of her own vets, a man called uh, Eddie Thornton, said uh, in his evidence, uh, the biggest problem was overcrowding, and the rest followed. Uh, like all walks, like in all walks of life, things can get just things can just get the better of you. He said. And um, he said he was shocked to hear that she'd been uh, shut down by the council. But it's open to her, as I say, to begin again, as it were, and uh, begin a new breeding establishment that meets the criteria and standards that the council require. OK, uh, we'll follow it with interest. Um, there's a lot of emotion about it, of course, uh, especially from dog lovers and animal lovers in general. Um, 214 dogs at the farm in poor condition. It was reported by Miss Nolan there. Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Times. Thank you very much. Here. Thanks. Happy Christmas to you, Barry. Uh, let's go to line two and Ashley. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Mick. How are you? I'm good. Dog lover? Absolutely. I have five rescue dogs myself and they're my children and I absolutely adore them. Um, I'm delighted that that kennel was, if you can call it a kennel, that horrible place was closed down finally. Um, what I want to make a point, Mick, was like everyone's all up about purebred dogs like Labradors, Huskies, Cockerpoos, all this being farmed in puppy farms. But what about our greyhounds? Our government is giving millions to people to raise greyhounds and they are just the same as our Cockerpoos, our Jack Russells, our German Shepherds. There's nothing different between a German Shepherd and a greyhound. They're a pest, they're a dog, they have feelings. Why are people not up in arms about greyhound racing as much as puppy farms? Are, Are greyhounds being farmed in that way? Would you contend that? They're not being farmed, but they're being exploited. I mean, I used to work in a veterinary clinic. I'm not going to say where, 
but there was a greyhound trainer used to bring in greyhounds at least once or twice every month to be put to sleep and these are healthy loving dogs and just because they're just not worth anything to them doesn't mean they're not worth something to someone yeah, is, is it a, a general misconception then that greyhounds are like the great white sharks of the ocean that they're rabid yes, creatures who so. have an in, 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 intense speed and will rip a hair apart <laughs> Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. Any dog is willing and able to rip a hare or a rabbit or a cat apart, depending on their type and their temperament. You know, that just comes as nature. And they're training, I guess. Exactly same thing. And they're training them to do that. I have a greyhound here. She was never raised, thankfully. I got her before she went into racing. She has no interest in chasing things. She'll chase. She'll very, very rarely catch anything. She's not fast enough. But the thing is that I bring her everywhere with me. And the people that meet her, they are absolutely... Like enthralled with her because she's so affectionate and c- gentle and caring and people don't realise that they're just as much a loving pet as any other dog in the world. So the the, the, the couple of greyhounds that were coming into your former premises that where you worked yeah. uh, to yeah. be put down for a dog lover that must that must seem like somebody's exploiting the, the, the in other words this greyhound ain't going to win any races no good to me. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I have taken a few from them to rehome but like I can't do it on my own you know and there's people out there like me that are helping and drips and drabs but we're not able to keep up with the absolute influx of greyhounds that people are breeding So how, how, how do you get on with five? I assume all very different dogs. Are they all vying for your attention? No, I have one or two that are very, they're quite old dogs they like just to sleep on the couch all day I have an, a middle one, she's five she is a bit more rambunctious in the others and my youngest one the little the, the greyhound that I got before she went racing she is the apple of my eye she goes absolutely everywhere with me she goes in the car with me she goes to the marina market every weekend we go up there she goes everywhere with me and everyone loves her but they're just so easy to look after like we don't have a very big house and we both work and they're just the easiest dogs to have in the house Okay, and from the heart of a, of a dog lover any advice you could give for any parents that are considering a puppy for under the tree at Christmas? I would highly suggest to stay away from puppies. Puppies are hard work. They're absolutely adorable and gorgeous, but they are bloody hard work. I find older dogs are much easier. They're more settled in their routines. They learn quicker. They're not as needy. Um, all my dogs, I've always got as adults, apart from one, and she was an idiot. Um, but all the other dogs, we always got as adults, and I wouldn't go past getting an adult dog for Christmas. or Not for Christmas, but... In general, I wouldn't get any dog for Christmas. Yeah. I think Christmas gifts are, you know, they're fad. They're, they're something that people pick up and put down. So if you are thinking about getting any dog, please do your research. Please do not go to the next ad you see on Facebook or on, fa- on the internet and go, oh, that looks like a nice puppy. I'll go and buy it. Because what you see on the internet isn't necessarily what you're seeing when you go to see the puppy. Understood. All right, uh, Ashley, thank you, thank you very much for that. You were delighted no that thank Poppy you. Farm is being highlighted anyway. Delighted, thank you. Okay, thanks a million. Just want to give one more mention to our Michelle the Jewellers competition. Over 60 years in business in Cork and uh, a family-run business as well. Bespoke jewellery for any occasion. You can check it all out at michellejewellers.ie um, for more details and then make the personal visit because as the time-honoured slogan says, the quality is right 
the service is right, they have the expertise and they're there for you. I think that was the voice of Tim Keane on the old uh, ad. I used to use that uh, advert actually as a, as uh, to, to display what a perfect advert could be on radio uh, when I was teaching radio production in uh, Colossus de Stefan Neife. That's the one that always stuck out for me. So fair play to Tim and to Michelle, the jewellers. Uh, we have a 200 euro voucher to give away and uh, we'll be playing this. Not now, okay? Please don't call now. But this is what you need to listen out for between now and 12 midday. And we'll play our diamond draw game and give one of our lucky listeners a 200 euro voucher between now and 12 midday for Michelle the Jewellers. Now to line five and to Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Good morning. Hi. You you bought a dog from that farm before, did you? I bought a dog um, about five years ago. Uh, we went up to that uh, puppy farm. It, it is a puppy farm. We didn't know it was a puppy farm. Um, we'd never bought a dog before, but... We went up and we saw the conditions that those pups were kept in. They were in a container in front of the house and there was like the mother dog, the father dog and the little pups and they, 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 we bought the pup on a Sunday and on the Monday morning the little pup was very, very sick. I took her down to Galabi Vets and uh, she was riddled in fleas. She was completely uh, malnourished. Uh, she was all matted and everything. As I say, we never bought a dog before. And uh, essentially, uh, Galabi Vets recommended that the dog be put to sleep. She was so ill. So I rang that person. Okay, let's, let's not get back. into any individual names here, if you, if you don't no, mind. No, I please. rang that person, the person I bought the dog from. I rang that person back and explained that the dog, we had to put her to sleep. And she said, oh no, the dog was perfect, leaving me. Um you you did something, you killed the dog. So I certainly did not kill the dog because I brought her to Gilabi Vets down and they, they said she was completely neglected and uh, there were so many fleas that the pup it was only okay, matched we'll, before she died. We're, we're going to have to stop you there because um, some of these matters could still be sub and we can't really get into... Uh, the dispute of the discussion. I hope you understand that, Catherine. I, I completely uh, understand okay. that, but I'm just saying, I do no, okay, can, can I ask you, do you have a dog now? We originally got a dog eight years ago. It was my brother actually bought from that that person. Um, the, our dog is perfect. She's okay. fine. She's perfectly healthy. She's pampered. So you're a happy dog uh, owner. I'll, I'll have to leave it there, Catherine. Thank you very much. I have got to get to a load of text that the programme generated this morning. Uh, my apologies if yours is not amongst the ones that we read out. Hi, Red FM. Can you please get a right about the attack on the children and the teacher? It was an Irish man who disarmed the attacker first. He got the knife off him and beat him to, uh, down to the ground. It was then that this so-called hero came along and hit him with his helmet. Uh, he's taking all the credit, but there's nothing about the real hero, an Irish man. Uh, okay, you're taking odds with uh, the newspaper review, but that's where it was printed. Um, hi, Mick. Uh, on the Healy Ray and Collins um, interviews and refugees, could you please ask Michael Healy Ray what his views are on men coming in with no passports and no documents? Says Mary Jane. I did, I think. I agree with the rural independents, 100% of what they said yesterday, says a texter. Another one says, despite our immigration crisis, many TDs see nothing wrong and want more and more refugees to come to Ireland while no one will dare speak of the 14,000 homeless in Ireland. That flute on the radio, what a charmer. The man is a fool and a traitor for taking in non-nationals and giving them places to stay in Kerry. He's part of the problem as much as the others are. Get him off, his voice is painful. 
It's a sad state of affairs, says another texter when the Healy Rays are the voice of reason. He's dead right. The Irish are being asked to leave emergency accommodation. Uh, Irish women and children are in tents and Ukrainians are in newly built units in Mahan. Uh, this government hates the Irish. Another text says, Michael Healy Ray goes along with the government policy when he can line his own pockets. Well, meanest gluttony and gain for his own means makes him a horrible man. I was walking in Blackpool yesterday and was approached in the street by two people who were completely covered in burkas. And I'm telling you, I got a big fright. They came out of a housing estate. I'm a pensioner. And it's the first time I was ever frightened in my own city. Uh, thank God for Michael Healy Ray. Pity there are not more like him. Another texture says, in fairness, Labour have turned into a right bunch of champagne socialists. They're like a crowd of rich university kids who never grow up mentally. So says Paddy. Mick, that Healy Ray is only interested in Ukrainians because he's getting big payments for them. Where are Ukrainians going to stay when they go home for Christmas? Uh, it's okay to go home for Christmas, then they should be told to stay there. This country is like the lottery offices for Ukrainians with all they're getting from the taxpayers of Ireland. Now the texture says, fair play to Michael. Labour's O'Reardon was nasty yesterday. Only two TDs from the government were on their side at the debate. Listening to Michael Healy Ray, would you not think that our government is racist against the Irish-born citizen? As foreign nationals are getting everything over the Irish. Great show making one more. Michael Healy Ray spoke very well. We'd be lucky to have someone like him in Cork. It's uh, coming up on 11.30. Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. 26 minutes to midday. Good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. Now, thalidomide as a drug was licensed for sale in Ireland in 1959 and promoted um, in helping prevent nausea in pregnant women. Unfortunately, it turned out to have devastating side effects, harming and deforming the developing fetus. And my next guest is one of some 40 people in Ireland whose mothers took thalidomide in good faith. I know we've spoken before. Good morning again, Fanola Cassidy. Good morning, Nick. Nice to hear you again. And you, uh, you were part of that big TV expose on, on, you know, the rigours of what you guys have had to go through. And in the not inconsiderable challenges, you're not just facing mentally and physically, but in, in looking to bring the government to account to abuse that old cliché. Yeah, no, it, it's been a very long journey. So, so at the end of last month, end of November, that would have marked the 62nd anniversary of the worldwide global announcement to withdraw thalidomide, you know, announcing how dangerous and toxic it was. But here in Ireland, as you said, there was a very deliberate decision not to withdraw it. And we know that there was available in rural pharmacies and around Ireland, thalidomide could still be bought over the counter um, in up to 1963 and 64. Yeah, the, even added, the international withdrawal date for the drug was 1961, November 26. 1961, yeah. And um, um, we were marking over the last few days, there's been a lot of media coverage um, where we were sort of re-explaining the fact that it was a very deliberate decision in Ireland not to withdraw the drug. Olivia O'Leary, some of your, your, your listeners might remember her from the old Seven Days. I do indeed. Stuff. Yeah, she was a young journalist and, and, and she even went to Germany to investigate the story. But they stood, uh, her, her researcher, she, she gives credit to her researcher at the time, I don't know the name of that lady, but she sort of sat outside the, the distributor in Ireland to, to sort of demand, you know, give us the evidence of how you approve the drug, show us, show us how it was done. And eventually, after actually many, many days, um, the only thing that was handed over was a, um, a, a coloured slip of paper that got distributed to pharmacies. Basically, like any other one, to say this batch of drugs is out of date. 
it didn't alert anybody to the warnings. It also said something like the word thalidomide, but thalidomide is the ingredient in about 10 different trade names that were used to sell this product. So people still weren't connecting the dots. And Olivia later on went on to interview Erskine Childress, who at one stage was a minister for health after this terrible Before event. Before becoming president, yeah. Yeah, before becoming president. And, you know, off camera, off record, they, they, they had the chat. And basically, um, and I know it's actually, this part is definitely in one of the cabinet briefing documents or, or, or a doll report where it said they didn't want to alarm women who might have taken the drug uh, by telling them how dangerous it was in case it frightened them into a miscarriage. So it was, their mindset was to leave it there in case that was going to happen. But actually, really, the underlying uh, thing that was acknowledged, I think, by Erskine Childers with Olivia O'Leary at the time was that would women take the boat to England if they realised how catastrophically disabled the children were? And um, like that sort of between the state's hand acting part in this tragedy. Obviously, the pharmaceutical company for never properly testing the drug. Um, it was a bigger seller. It was second only, Nick, to the sales of aspirin at that time. Yeah, yeah, p- p- people forget that this wasn't selectively um, administered. It was it was a huge over-the-counter, well, on prescription, a huge prescription, prescription seller. And over-the-counter. And, and there was a lovely story told us recently on, on, a, on another radio station by uh, Peggy Murphy from Cork. Peggy lives in Cork and she's one of the 94 year old mums still you know you know watching for her son and and, and minding but she tells a story that when the pharmacy uh, that she went into the rural chemistry the, the lady said oh you put your your, your, your sickness very and and she said well I'll only take half of them you know she couldn't afford the whole prescription of them and and you know like definitely when people took maybe what was prescribed or took it say three times a day or something like that for a short period of time sadly they are the children that were lost to miscarriage yeah I spoke I spoke I, to I Peggy and she spoke so well my heart was breaking oh, for her absolutely. Uh, in, in, and, and in her elder years handful of, yeah handful of them left but um, look I suppose um, you know as I said we were this second anniversary of the global withdrawal, acknowledging that Ireland failed to withdraw. And then we had the following week last week, which was a very moving, a very profound apology, a very wholesome apology from um, Prime Minister Australia to the Thalidomide community. And our Australian Thalidomide family gathered in Canberra. They were in the parliamentary building. And I stayed up till about half past 11 that night to watch it live. And it was extraordinary because like us and like all the other countries, there's nobody has just, you know, come to the table to us and said, we want to sort this terrible tragedy and we want to put to right. And like us, the Australian survivors had a very long protracted battle. But in the end, anyway, last week, uh, Prime Minister Ambrose, it was Ambrose, it was a really fulsome apology. It isn't the first time that Australia has led the way here. It was an Australian report in the Lancet Medical Journal uh, first warned the world of thalidomide dangers in 1961 Uh, and now Australia last week has issued that apology. Its Prime Minister Anthony Albanese said we apologise for the pain and thalidomide uh, the pain thalidomide has inflicted on each and every one of you each and every day. As fulsome as that apology was is an apology enough for you guys? Are you looking for some financial recompense? Well absolutely 
you know, the Irish Canadian Medical Association, we represent only about 40 survivors that, you know, there are very few survivors left in Ireland. And I was only commenting to, to some journalists yesterday, when we're gone, we are gone, you know, like as, as and then we've sadly lost a few people in the last five years. And I know because I deal with all the members on a daily basis that some of the health issues are very profound at the moment. And I'm, I'm genuinely very worried. And And I suppose what we're saying now is, you know, our parents before us also did this campaign in the 70s. So we're now 62 years of, of the Clitamide tragedy. It's just becoming cruel, Nick, to not bring closure to it. I mean, it, it's almost unforgivable at this stage that we aren't able to see sense and see beyond sure. the historical... But there's a certain sense on. from the powers that be is that the longer we, we don't engage here, the, the fewer will be left and the less we'll have to deal with ultimately. If, if, we, do, if we put our heads in the sand, we won't have to apologise at all. Well, that's that's the thing. And look, apologies genuinely mean different things to different people. Yes, of course, some people are going to say this was so hard fought, it means nothing now. Yes, you're going to get that. But we have to recognise that apology, like they, they did in, in Australia, and like they did in Westminster a few years ago, and then it followed in the charge of governments in Scotland and Wales, they, they do have a, a depth uh, of closure to them. They bring a certain, um, uh, you know, finality to, you know, that, that insane question that goes around in our heads all day. But like, especially for the relationships many of us had with our parents and our siblings to say so many people were affected. It was like, it was like the ripple in, in, in the, the pond. And, 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 and it had so many facets to it. And, and it will help to bring closure to it. We've always said that the state need to acknowledge the wrong. They need to acknowledge their hand acting part in, in their very deliberate action in, in, in the Thalidomide story. And that was even sort of further replicated in the 70s when our parents did a deal. And yet the state never ruled those payments in the court to ensure that they were adequate for children. And um, maybe because they never expected us all to live this long. And here you are, have a, a small cohort of people, about 40, who, who are ageing rapidly, deteriorating rapidly, and this all needs to be addressed. So acknowledging the wrong is what we wanted. Yes, the apology. And also, we represent a very small amount of people who have yet to be acknowledged by the state. And this was one of the things that the apology really, really stressed in Australia. So we feel now that's a roadmap for, for us here in Ireland. They've acknowledged that if somebody thinks they were affected and they had never come forward they now can come forward. And here in Ireland, we have even gone further than that because the Irish Clatermite Association, our unacknowledged members, have already gone through the enormous difficulty of medical exam- examinations with world experts in thalidomide and have a categorical diagnosis of thalidomide. So we have the work done for the Irish state at this stage. Yeah, and you were in talks with the Irish state. You've been, you've been campaigning for over 15 years on, on this um, on this topic. You know, but to, government yeah, talks I, collapsed in the summer. It's time to get back in the room, is it? They did, and um, I was very grateful to Paulie O'Sullivan. He's, he's a corporate North TV there for Fianna Fáil. He raised it in Leinster House the other day. He actually pulled in somewhere to hear the, the apology live himself. And he was particularly moved by the fact that so many of the survivors or, or their families were holding photographs mm-hmm. of those who were no longer there to hear the apology. And in fairness, he raised it in the doll. And, and Michal Martin said that he was extremely disappointed that the talks broke down. So look, 
we're ready to get back in the room. We feel that there is a willingness to get back in the room on the state side. And so we're, we're, that's what we were asking. That's the Christmas present we want. Yes, you, well, you, you can hold up Australia as an example. And, oh, and, and maybe morally the talks uh, should, should start again, but uh, with, I, a, with I, a view to an early apology, if possible. A, an early apology and addressing all the needs. Yes, a, yeah. a, a care package and a financial package. You sure. know, we need security now going to the, the remainder of our lives. And, and you know, there was, there was a terrible uh, line that I came across when I was looking at all these files over the years of campaigning. And, and when we were 12 and they made the small awards to us, it said the cost of the exchequer would diminish as the children, I oh. can't remember the rest of the book. It basically was saying, you know, this is short term, they're going Accountant to Accountants speak. And yeah. yeah. So All right, Finola, it's been lovely to talk to you again. Um, my regards to Peggy, if you're still in touch with her. Uh, and best wishes to... Regularly. Also, all of the Irish Little Might survivors, keep, keep, keep us informed as to progress uh, in seeking okay. that apology. Finola Cassidy, thank you very much thank for coming you. on the Neil Prendival Show this morning. Diamonds are this is the Neil Prendival Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Morning from the Neil Prendival Show and good morning, Mary O'Sullivan. Hiya, Mary. Hi, Mick. How are you? Very good. Thank you for your letter for our paddy box. Oh, uh, right. yeah. Really tugged at the heartstrings. Everything was going very yeah, well this yeah. morning until your flight got cancelled. It did, yeah. There's freezing fog at Skip also. Um, our flight got cancelled, yeah. And you were going <laughs> so to Amsterdam. Very, very, yeah, very disappointing, really, you know. Okay. Who but, in the um, world were you going to see? My sister, Catherine. Good morning, Catherine. <laughs> Morning. <laughs> oh, she's on the other side. <laughs> Catherine had no idea why why she was coming on the program. She's going to kill me tomorrow, no, like. Yeah, big time. Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> I would like to nominate my beautiful, treasured. No, I'm only making those words up. I would like, to, I would like to nominate my sister Catherine O'Sullivan for the Paddy Box. Moved to Amsterdam 35 years ago, and a lovely letter to follow. Uh, I'm going to try and visit her as often as we can to bring her favourite marafat peas and dumping her white cheddar cheese. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. So what, what's, the, what's the story? You're, 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 you're stuck in a hotel because the flight was cancelled, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm travelling with my other sister and her son. And um, my sister broke her ankle there not so long ago. So um, she's still, she like, she needs assistance at the airport. So Gringus very generously have put us up in the International Hotel for the night. So uh, we fly out hopefully tomorrow morning. So yeah, you know. and it's a it's a pre Christmas visit. You're not going over for the whole season. Oh no, no, no. pre Christmas, yeah, pre Christmas visit, yeah. Okay, and uh, what a patty box would make a bit of a difference, you reckon, to your your oh, sister God, abroad? Yeah, definitely, a, a bit of cork, a bit of home, you know. So. Do, you know do you know what's in the patty box, Catherine? I have no idea, please. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me give you some idea. What about what about some Barry's tea, potato, cheese, and onion? Oh. Cadbury's Dairy oh, Milk, lovely. Cadbury's Purple Snacks, <laughs> Jacob's Chocolate Kimberly's and Mikado, Boland's Custard Cream, 10 different types of refresher stinger wambar sweets. All that stuff, <laughs> stuff from your youth. Uh, McDonald's curry sauce and a spice bag mix as well. Uh, some Ballymaloo relish to take something from East Cork. Uh, you're going to have to go around the shops now with a, a bag saying the messages because we're sent one of them as well. And uh, we'll, we'll throw in some Tanora as well, the real taste of Cork. 
Mary, I, I know you're delayed a day, uh, possibly a day. You'll have the comfort of the wonderful International Hotel. And yeah. um, we've made a call, Kevin did, to Barry Holland from Cork Airport. And he's okay. going to give you a 50 euro voucher for the Loop, uh, the great shopping there at Cork Airport. So you'll be able to get something nice from home for Catherine as well. Oh, Not so for much. yourself. I know. Don't worry. It'll be for Catherine. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Thank you. <laughs> so much. That's All right, guys. Listen, have, have a great Christmas. I know it's going to be delayed by a day. When do you come back, um, Mary? On Tuesday. We were meant to come back on Monday, but we kind of changed the flight to Tuesday now because we're, we're down a day already, you know? Uh, Amsterdam's <laughs> going to be pretty cold this time of year. Yeah, yeah, it is. It if, is. If I can give you any advice... Look both yeah. ways. Those trams will run you down and they're silent. They're silent. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Make Definitely, sh- yeah. Make sure you look after it, Catherine. William, we'll get the paddy box oh, winging its way. Of course I will. Yeah. Hey, thanks, William, right. guys. Okay. Cheers. Okay, thank thanks. you. Bye. And uh, thanks to Barry Holland from Cork Airport giving a 50 euro voucher for the loop from Mary to get something nice uh, from home for Catherine as well. Always nice to recognise people when they're generous uh, to the programme and to its listeners. Now, what about uh, a business that's been over 60 years in business in Cork? Uh, a family-run business all that time offering bespoke jewellery for any occasion. For, so for that special gift... Uh, we can send you no further than michellejewelers.ie. There you can do your pre-research on screen before you make the personal visit and then go in and get the personal service. Their tagline uh, is one of old. The quality is right, the service is right, they have the expertise and they're there for you. We're going to play our Diamonds Are Forever competition and on line four we have Colette Kelleher in Waterfall. Hi Colette. Hi Mick, how are you today? Very good. 200 euro voucher could be yours. What will you do with it? Share it with who? Uh, well, today is my husband's birthday, Michael, and my daughter's birthday, Michelle. So I'd like to wish both of them a happy birthday. So I probably would share with both of them. Excellent. Why not? Uh, and now we have... Um, have you something got for them already for his birthday? Yeah, I do, yes. But, you know, nothing like Michelle's jewellers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you have a 50-50 chance here, I guess. Uh, Mary, is it Coughlin or Colin? You have to be careful when you're in court. Colin, eh? it's Coughlin in West Cork, isn't it? Yes. Okay, okay Mary, yeah. Mary Colin, you're in Ballyvalan and you'll give the 200 euro to your granddaughter or your husband. Yes. Okay, well, here we yes. go. Um, this is a fabulous competition with Michelle Jewellers. I've got the, uh, we're live on Facebook anyway, so there's, there's, there's no favours being pulled here. I have 13 cards. They're all diamonds. We've made a rule that two, the two of diamonds will be the lowest. And then as we go up, the ace will be the highest. So 10, jack, queen, king, ace. Uh, so here we go. Colette, your first. Pick a number, please, between one and 13. I'll have to pick today's date, number seven. Number seven. One, two, three, four, five, six. Hold it up to the camera. It is the four of diamonds. That's a pretty low card, and we're looking for a high card. So I'm going to shuffle again, okay? And um, we go to Mary Collin in uh, Ballyvalan. And uh, let's consider them shuffled now. A number between one and 13, please, Mary. I'd say eight. Number eight. One, two, three, five, six, seven. Number eight is the ten of diamonds. 
So you are the winner. Sorry, Colette. Thank you for playing. No problem. Bit of Thank fun. You. Happy Christmas oh. to you. Bye bye, you too. Thanks a million. Mary, you got the 200 euro voucher with Michelle, Brilliant. the jewellers. Now, I'd go in myself if I was you rather than uh, than give the voucher away and send I... people in. I think you, you, you'd you probably pick something that's uh, more suitable than uh, to give to your loved ones than they might pick for themselves. Yeah, and then I might change my mind, Nick. I you, don't know. <laughs> you never know. You might keep it for yourself as well. well Enjoy the enjoy the voucher with Michelle the Jewellers. Sixty years of experience in business in Cork as a family-run Thanks business. A lot. Thanks a million. Okay. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye bye. Merry calling there in uh, Ballyvalan. We have a couple of Christmas trees to give away as well. I think so. Uh, why do we do that now as well? Finton reared in Christmas trees. Uh, Finton's farm is the most environmentally friendly in Cork with the stats to prove it. A sustainable and organic approach to Christmas trees. You can pick your own Christmas tree from one of their two locations: Centre Park Road and Currabeg in Ovens. A tree to suit everybody, ranging from 2 feet to 30 feet if you've got a big hole. Uh, also members of the uh, Irish Christmas Tree Growers Organic Farming Association, Forestry Association and Carbon Credit Group uh, Ireland. Uh, you can text 0868104106. We'll pick text 9 and 10, two Christmas trees to give away and uh, we'll get that voucher across to you and get you over to Finton Reardon Christmas Trees in time for Christmas. Busy programme today. My thanks to the Neil Prendival Show production team, Kevin Galvin, Seamus Whelan and Clara Connor, and we're back after news at nine in the morning. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.